you are you are like on being with Kristen Tippett or whatever, but like for the beer industry. <laughs> quality and streamlined audio you hear on this podcast, I sent recording equipment from Durango, Colorado, where I live, to Julia in Lyons, Colorado, and to Laura in Columbia Station, Ohio. Laura calls it the spy kit. Now it's in Missoula, Montana with Kate Bernat, who calls it the sisterhood of the traveling podcast equipment case. This podcast recording equipment is like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. <laughs> Along its journey, this small but mighty case acquired stickers from each of its hosts, marking the destinations it had been. Much like my conversation with Kate in today's episode, it's a reminder not just of the importance of place, but also of the value in staying connected from afar. I'm Emily Hutto, and this is Radcraft Industry Relief. I am Kate Bernat. I am a freelance journalist. I primarily cover beer, sometimes food, sometimes other beverages, sometimes unrelated stories, but mostly beer. (laughs) And I have been writing about beer now for probably a decade, which is wild to think about. Um, You can primarily find my work at Good Beer Hunting and in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, but I freelance many other places. And I live in Missoula, Montana. And I am the director of the North American Guild of Beer Writers, which is a professional organization for people who cover beer, whether that's in written or podcast form. And we have about 200 plus members. And it's been a real privilege to direct that group for roughly the last year-ish. I am drinking today a beer called Bend Towards Daylight from Is Was Brewing in Chicago. And uh, they do some very cool mixed fermentation and um, kind of Saison adjacent, maybe, beers. I don't know if that's how they would describe their beers. That's how I'm going to describe their beers. Um, This one I was excited about because it's a spelt Grisette, and it has some Spanish cedar wood as a part of it, um, and it's only three point five percent. Show me, show me a wood aged beer at three point five percent. I love that. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very refreshing and zippy and nicely acidic, and I'm digging it. I chose to bring the Ska Oktoberfest, which. I think I've had with you on Ska's patio. I was trying to think about the times in my life for the many years I've known you, you know, just half of it, that I've actually gotten together with you. And it's such a short list. Ironically enough, it's in these last few years after the pandemic hit. And one of those times was when you were on a road trip in 2020 and we sat on the Ska patio and 
had a hug and we're just so thrilled to be out in the world with each other. And I, I can't remember the last time I'd seen you before that, maybe speaking on a panel at the Craft Brewers Conference in Philadelphia. Oh gosh. Yeah, that that sounds maybe correct, but I yeah, I would agree that when I think about you and I like meeting, quote unquote, in the real world, I think about that, yes, that road trip where I was going through Utah and Colorado and getting to hang out with you on the Scott patio was so nice. We were still in in the pandemic deep in it, um, because I remember being very excited that we could be outside. Um my husband and I were on that road trip for our one-year anniversary, <laughs> um, and that was about all we could do was take a road trip and camp because things were still very, you know, outside. People were not gathering. So getting to see someone new felt, like, electrifying. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was just so needed, and um, we had beers, and it almost felt like normal times for that brief little hour or two. It sure did. I think because you and I always knew of each other, I've known of you since as long as I was beer writing. And back when I was beer writing, you were also beer writing. And I feel like we were on a much shorter and less diverse list of names of people out there who were specializing in craft beer and beverage journalism. Correct. We were we were just orbiting each other like planets that are a certain distance away and just like constantly kind of yeah orbiting and I I knew who you were and then I we were even writing for some of the same publications and yet never really ending up in the same room somehow which is weird that happens in beer where you feel like there are these people that you know somewhat well and then you realize you've actually never spent a moment with them in person nailed it and then I also, <laughs> because you're such a prolific journalist, I felt like I knew parts of your brain before we ever really met because oh, you had I'm so sorry. out and written about <laughs> all these things that I've been reading about for years. So <laughs> it's a good that place. That is true. To, <laughs> That's the thing ahead. about writers. When you read their work, it is when you read other writers, when I read your work or other writers, I do feel like I'm inside their brain a bit and... Yeah, that breeds maybe a false sense of uh, of closeness or intimacy, and then you meet them in real life. You're like, oh, we've never met, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and that might have been our experience, or even if we had met, it was brief and not always in the in the same room. Or if we were in the same room, one of us was behind a presentation platform or a table, whatnot. Um, so all that to say, um, I think it's interesting that for our story, it was all of these virtual spaces that made me get to know you a little bit more and realize I love her. She is my people. I need to seek her out in person. And that is why I've gotten to see you so much in these last couple of years. So I think it might've been also on the Scott patio that I was telling you about these calls that we were doing and I brainstormed that these might actually be benefit from the combination of your input as a journalist, and then they might benefit you because 
you could get story ideas or connect with folks. So I remember thinking, oh yeah, I need to get Kate in here and some other journalists too. So thanks for that spark and also thanks for coming. Um, what was that experience like for you and and why did you keep coming back to us? Yeah, I was very grateful for the invitation because, oh my gosh, for so many reasons. I mean, I think there was just the universal feeling of, sort of isolation and not connecting with people beyond the people that you live with or who are in your little pod. Um, gosh, it's so weird to, th- I mean, I know it wasn't that long ago, but it feels so weird to just put myself back in that headspace. It feels like a completely different decade or something. Um, I was very grateful for the chance to just talk to people and especially to talk to new people. There were many folks on the industry relief Zooms that I knew or knew casually, but there were also people I had absolutely never met before. And that felt like such a novelty because no one was meeting anyone <laughs> during the <laughs> pandemic. You were you were really trimming down your social circle, or I was, I guess. And I wasn't, I was seeing my husband and a couple friends outside, but we weren't, yeah, we weren't meeting new people. And as a journalist, that's what I do all the time. And even as just a human, I like meeting new people. So I was very grateful for that chance. And then on the professional side, you nailed it. I mean, just having a direct and kind of casual line to people was massively helpful. Um, You know, I can certainly call people and ask them questions in my capacity as a reporter. But to get more of a casual, just what are people thinking about? What is top of mind for them? What is keeping them awake at night? You often don't, that's not a question that you get to ask cold calling (laughs) necessarily. So um, to just be in that environment and hear people's real anxieties and concerns and worries and also triumphs and joys, um, kind of in a casual, unfiltered, non-traditional media setting, I think, was immensely valuable. And and multiple stories came, were sparked by conversations that happened in those Zooms. Here's Kate in December of 2020 during a Zoom chat that we themed around forecasting for the year to come. With Good Beer Hunting being a digital publication, we can move faster on news and things that kind of crop up in the moment. Um, for Craft Beer and Brewing, where I'm a contributing editor, um, we do plan those issue themes out for the year, um, and they fall around certain beer styles usually. So I would say right now I'm getting ready to, I'm looking at my whiteboard. (laughs) I am thinking about our, um, issue that'll be wrapping up in like mid-January is when kind of editorials do. And that one is our Beyond Beer issue. So anything seltzer, hard kombucha, any non-beer products, um, we want to hear about those for that issue, as well as um, pale ales and farmhouse styles. So if you have interesting thoughts on those, please share them. Kate also connected with Laura Lodge, who we featured in our last episode through these relief calls. One that I very much recall coming almost directly out of those conversations was um, Laura Lodge was a uh, 
guest on some of those Zooms as I was. And just hearing her talk about the difficulties around organizing the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival um, amidst a pandemic, um, trying to decide whether it could be modified or it was going to have to be canceled or what was a what was a responsible and ethical way to do it, even if they could legally do it? Was that something they, you know, ethically felt comfortable hosting? Um, and hearing other folks talk about their questions around events and gatherings and what made them feel safe because that was so subjective at the time. I mean, it's hard to remember, but in the early months of the pandemic, we were all kind of confused about how the virus even spread. I mean, remember when we were like, people were washing cans of beans and stuff from the grocery store. Like we really didn't know what we were doing. And they were like, you couldn't touch a pen at a department store, whatever. Anyway, it was so bizarre in those early months. Um, So I think those conversations that we were having around event safety directly turned into a story that I wrote about the challenges um, for events organizers and, you know, the decision that several of them made to ultimately off events um, and sort of how they were either modifying them or or ultimately making that call to just postpone them for a year. So um, yeah, that came directly out of out of those conversations for sure. Yeah, Kate, I love the way you wrap it up like that because that's exactly what it was. It was this place to kind of meet people, but in a professional capacity. One thing I've been really impressed by as I think back is that no one brought in politics or religion or food even or medicine, all these topics that are so polarizing, they stuck with beer and they were unfiltered and they were all very raw and and just real about their shares. You know, as much as there was so much heaviness there too, I think now when I look back, I also see a lot of, like, there was a lot of moments of lightness and um joy and kind of like freedom bizarrely during the pandemic too. I mean, people had more time at home than they had ever had a lot of folks. Um, Obviously like, you know, medical personnel and first responders and stuff notwithstanding, but you know, for those of us with uh, our little workaday jobs, um, having just entire weeks of like, uh, as long as I file my stories, um, I don't really have anything else to do. <laughs> what am I going to do at that time? I mean, remember when we were all walking like 10 miles a day? <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our dogs were so happy. <laughs> Our dogs were thrilled. We were cooking elaborate meals. Um, we were taking up bizarre hobbies. I bought a ukulele on Craigslist that I played exactly two times. Um, but you know, Hey, I gave it a shot. Um, like I'm, I kind of miss that. I mean, I miss that my life has got back to the sort of breakneck pace that I often feel like it's at. And I miss the freedom to just kind of mess around with that kind of stuff. Um, that there was a real freedom and kind of joy in that, that I wish still existed and maybe I can recapture in some way. There was experimentation and sort of um, whimsy and like you could just do something for the sake of taking up time, which is um, like so cool. (laughs) And I think something that a lot of us had when we were kids, like that's basically what being 
the kid is, is like you have free time to just like try stuff and it doesn't have to produce anything and it doesn't have to be good. And like maybe you don't even like it and then you don't do it anymore. And that's fine too. Kate has a keen ability to make lemonade, to see beyond the chaos of a scenario to find its silver lining. I actually think everyone in the Radcraft Industry Relief Conversations practices that positivity and resilience. So I was here in Missoula with my husband and my dog and trying to still do my job of reporting the news. And there was certainly no shortage of beer news during that time, um, which I guess I felt like my role became very vital as a knowledge sharer, um, as a person who gathers information and disseminates it. I think there was such a premium placed on good and accurate information during that time. And I felt a really important duty to get things right and to, and to be ethical to those sources that I was talking to. I mean, that's always a part of journalism, but um, there was like more of a human element during that time. I mean, I was calling breweries that were like on the brink of not knowing if they were going to be open anymore and asking them how things we're going. I mean, how do you even ask that question, right? I, I would start phone calls with like, hi, how are you? Like, how are you as a person today? Not as a formality, but as a like, if you can't have this, and I would tell them, if you can't have this conversation today, that's completely fine. Like you have bigger fish to fry, or maybe you're just not in the headspace to do this. I get it. Um, and that was different from how maybe I had approached reporting in the past, but I think that's a good lesson to keep carrying forward and one I hope that I learned for the long term is to kind of keep that human element um, always at the center of even business reporting. Another one though that was that really emerged for me out of the pandemic was how localized news is and stories are and trends are. That was a that was really drilled home on those industry relief chats too, because people who lived in different parts of the country were really experiencing things quite differently. And I realized that I was extremely lucky to be living in Missoula where there is so much open space and, you know, to have the ability to be outside and to still be doing the things that I love and that recharge my batteries, which is being outdoors um, was a great gift. Um, other people might not be able to do the things that they love, like live music or those kinds of things, um, dining out, et cetera. So, um, you know, everyone's experience was really different based on where they were. And that held forth in the, in the beer sphere too. I mean, certain breweries did super well during the pandemic. I mean, they were like, wow, uh, weirdly, this is great, question mark. <laughs> uh, like business is booming. Um, we've figured out, you know, we have an outdoor space that can really accommodate people safely and distantly. And, you know, we're selling more packaged beer than we've ever sold. So like actually business is good. Um, whereas other breweries were not set up to pivot in that way and were, were really struggling or they were in states that had different kinds of laws that didn't allow them to do certain things. And I guess I just realized that every every brewery was experiencing the pandemic in kind of its own little microcosm. Um, and it was hard to generalize trends or generalize responses to the pandemic because it was so different from place to place. And I think that 
that really carries through in the contemporary beer market now. Um, things are really not quite recovered to where they were before, but that is so different for different business models, different geographies. It's really hard to generalize what's happening in beer, even craft beer right now, on kind of an overarching national basis. Um, so I think that that nuance, I guess, and that geographic nuance has been really important um, and continues to, yeah, be something I'm always thinking about as I'm making, like, pronouncements about anything. Like, oh, beer is this way. It's like, well, except for A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's a smart and important take on why location matters always, but in particular in an industry where agriculture, climate, and things like growing season impact in a trickle-down way everything in the supply chain. And that is consumer trends notwithstanding, so many other components of the industry notwithstanding too. Yeah, I like place... Place really matters. Sometimes it feels less relevant in like a digital, very connected world. But I think the pandemic like rocked us all into being like, no, where you are is kind of everything. Um, and it's a good lesson. It's a good, I'm glad that that was like a lesson that maybe some of us learned from it. It really gets at the heart of this conversation, which is that we're all on our own doing our thing, but we're part of something so much bigger, and beer is a microcosm for that. This was so evident during the relief sessions that um, the craft community of, like, brewers, you know, artisan food makers, agricultural practitioners, et cetera, like, it's based on information and knowledge sharing, and there is that desire to share, I think, information that would benefit others. Um and that's like a great boon to my reporting, obviously, that um, people want to help the wider industry by sharing things that have worked or not worked for them. Um, and that was a huge part of those industry relief chats was just like, oh, is anyone like, what are you seeing? What's what's going on there? Is that working? Is that not working? Um, that knowledge sharing is super critical for small producers everywhere. Our, our industry was already really collaborative and then something like the pandemic hits and we're forced to be resourceful. And I think in those spaces, we turn to what we know. And if what we know is to collaborate and share resources, we can come out better in the end. And that overall openness to do so, or I'll use it again, vulnerability, is my answer to the next question, which is what do you think has changed for good in the beer industry? I... I think the any sense that there was a one-size-fits-all approach is out the window. Um, I remember years ago that there was kind of prevailing common wisdom about business models. Like, opening as many tap rooms as you can is the way to make great margins, and, like, everyone should be doing that. And then the pandemic hit, and it was like, oh, everyone needs to have canning lines and, like, be in distribution and be in... 15 packs at the grocery store. That's like the only way you're going to make it out. And it's clear that like neither of those was ever correct. And um, 
that there really is no no one model that breweries are guaranteed to succeed. You know, it, it varies based on where you are, how you how you financially structure your brewery, who your investors are, how's your debt financed. I don't know. All of these are like unsexy questions, but it 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 really really drives home to me that there's yeah, there's not one way of doing things and people have gotten extremely creative to survive the last few years um, and to remain flexible and changeable and to like remake their businesses in real time. That's crazy. I don't think I could do it, honestly. <laughs> like when I saw what some breweries were doing to like sell beer through little to-go windows and like delivering beer to people's doorsteps out of their like Subarus and stuff, it was like, I don't, I think... I don't know. I'd probably be on the towel, man. <laughs> so my hat's <laughs> off to all the all those business owners who made it work. Um, so yeah, I think it just proved that like there's a lot of ways to get to get to where you're going. Pretty, yeah. pretty cool thing to reflect on. Well, I'm gonna give you the floor to talk about a soapbox. I want to spend time, more time, talking with. People who are really on the front lines of brewing, I interview a lot of brewery owners, <laughs> which is great. Um, I interview a lot of people who like own companies or in the C-suite of companies. And um, I think there's so much knowledge to be gained by the people who are just like in the thick of it, man. <laughs> Taproom servers, delivery drivers, uh distributor sales reps like they're really seeing the market change in real time and their boots on the ground every day talking to consumers talking to accounts whatever like they're seeing stuff a lot faster sometimes than it trickles all the way kind of up and gets distilled into like what's considered common knowledge um so for myself and for the industry I think um we would learn a lot and gain a lot by recognizing the talent that exists at that level um, and the insight and intelligence that exists at that level and, and, you know, asking those people more frequently to contribute to kind of the larger dialogue. Um, so that's as much a lesson for me as anyone else. Like, I'm not saying I'm great at that, um, but it's something I would like to be better at. So I would offer that to everyone else, too. Kate so eloquently describes the humanity of her work and the importance of place and time. She seems to notice the fleeting nature of all that is, and she articulates that so fluidly. To experience a beer at the peak of its freshness, to sample a batch that can never be replicated due to year-over-year harvest conditions, to savor a moment with a beer made for the occasion— These are all passing sensations that require our presence to truly appreciate. Thank you, Kate, for both the groundedness and the lightness with which you showed up to Radcraft Industry Relief. On our next episode, meet Kristen Moraro and go behind the marketing scenes of what I think of as one of the most iconic brewing companies in the country, Ska Brewing. Stay tuned.
podcast has been a Radcraft production. Get to know us at radcraftbeer.com slash industry relief.